Turn in your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 2. I've got in here Revelation 2, 8 through 322. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm just going to read Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Last time we were in Revelation, uh, we looked at the church at Ephesus. We're going to begin by looking at the church at Sardis. And then we're going to look at a few things from the other churches as well. But we want to look at the question, are we eternally secure or held responsible to duty? And I'll explain why I have this question here as title. church at Ephesus, as you recall, was commended pretty much, but they were, by the Lord, called to remember they lost their first love. They lost the passion of their devotion to Christ, and that's what they were admonished to do. They were asked to repent of their lack of passion. The church at Smyrna, excuse me, the church at Smyrna in verses 2 or chapter 2, 8 through 11 does not, it, it seems like there is no retribution, there's no criticism, it's all encouragement. Let us begin by reading that. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, in other words, the authority of the words of Christ come in this message. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And then ten days, and for ten days you will have tribulation, but faithful, be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let me pray once more briefly before we dig in. Father, there is so much here, but we want to, in our hearts and our minds, understand some of the context of Scripture itself so that we may understand what is before us. We want to understand what is expected of us, what's been given to us, and how we may live by faith in order that we may evaluate ourselves by the truth that comes out of these verses. Keep us attentive. Keep us alert. Hold us accountable. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Are we eternally secure 
were held responsible to duty. Uh, I decided to talk about this because my wife heard my message and was asking me questions about it and wondered when the Lord warned the church at Ephesus that if they did not repent, he was going to remove their lampstand. Does that mean that they lost their salvation? Some of you may remember last, last time in the book of Ephesus, we looked at the eternal authority of Christ and his message. We looked at the persistent problem within the church. There was some coldness. There was some lack of passion. And then there was the wise solution, which is always repentance. But I want to look at two things as kind of setting where sh what should what should we understand before we even look at Revelation? And there are a lot of people that don't understand enough when they read Revelation or study Revelation. And this question that my dear bride asked me was a very good one. Is this suggesting that we could lose our salvation? No, we are those who are truly believers, those who truly have faith in Christ, are eternally secure. But there is a responsibility or a duty of the church as a body. And we're going to talk about both of those things. And then after that, the weeks after that, we'll get into looking at each church. We'll look at them briefly this morning. <clears throat> Perhaps it would help with an illustration if I talk about military forces or military troops. Most of them are comprised of someone who has been either been recruited or someone who has volunteered. They take an oath, they are trained, they are equipped, they are assigned or given orders, they are prepared for battle, and they are constantly drilled in order that they may be proficient in what they are meant to do. Then what if the soldier, what if a soldier was lazy? What if a soldier was brought up with charges of dereliction of duty? The soldier would be disciplined or corrected or brought up on formal charges and dishonorably discharged if he did not change. What if the military branch or military battalion or regiment or what if the troops failed to discipline the rebellious among them? You would have soldiers, you would have indeed armies who were not ready for battle. They could very easily be overwhelmed by the enemy, even if there were some who were ready to fight and equipped to fight incapable of fighting, all of these others that failed to do their work would weaken the forces. What if some of the soldiers sold secret military plans that would make things even worse? Like a new recruit who barely knows anything that man or that woman has the full support of the military. Once you sign on the line or take the oath, you're, you belong to them. If he or she fails to submit to training or he, he or she fails to follow orders, everything, everything is lost. 
you and I, as human beings in this world, we who come to Christ, we are saved for a purpose. You could say some of us volunteered, or we think we were volunteered. Most of us were recruited by the Holy Spirit in the preaching of his word. Most of us responded to a call. We are saved for a purpose. In 1 Peter it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are saved for a purpose, not to just escape hell and have heaven forever, but to bring the gospel to the world, as we talked about in Sunday school, reconciling the lost of the world to the holy and righteous God. We have, in Christ, and in Christ alone, eternal security. The Apostle Paul wrote to the, book of, to the church in Rome, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor thought height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not Paul's promise to God, but God's promise to Paul and to us. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. You are eternally secure. Even the Lord Jesus himself said, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So we have eternal security. It's not just limited to the promise of heaven. The individual believer, the individual true believer is secure in Christ. And there are some who make a false profession of faith. The Lord Jesus himself, while he walked this earth, shared several lessons about false believers. He talked about the parable of the wheats and the tares, and he talked about the sower the parable of the sower and his interpretation of the sower, the one who came spreading seed. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what, was, what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves it unfruitful. And for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, 
in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of God has been sown in each and every one of your hearts. What kind of soil is receiving that word, that seed, that power? Is it hard? Is it packed? Will it not receive the word? Is it going to be snatched away? Is it rocky? Takes a quick route. Will things get hot and difficult? Oh, nope, I'm out of here. I did not buy this. I did not become a Christian to go through this suffering. What about struggling with victory over sin in your world or the, or, or the temptations of this world? Well, I can't go there and be a Christian too, so I'm going to go there. There are many people who make a false profession of Christ for Christ, and they don't last very long. What is the condition of your heart? What, is, what kind of soil has the seed been planted in? How do I know I am a true believer? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are of the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are qualified. This past week I saw online someone quote, talking, uh, just a brief soundbite. Something I'd never seen before is a ministry called the Ezra Institute. And this one teacher was before a classroom and he was saying, the problem with the church is that it's full of hybrid Christians. They're part Prius and they're part, well, he didn't say gasoline. They're part Prius and they're part Christian. They're part pagan and they're part Christians. And that just does not work. You must be identified all in Christ and no one else. That's what the book of Revelation, these first three chapters, is talking about. We are one in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one bread, who we who are many are one body, for we are all part, or we all partake of one bread. You take the flour that bread is made from, it takes thousands of grains of wheat to make that flour. It makes one loaf. We who are Christians from all over the world, who are true believers, comprise the true church. But there are others who claim Christ among our number who are not of the true church. And John in Revelation is sifting through that with these letters to the seven churches. Again, Ephesians 4 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. 
Through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into one holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So then, eternally secure in Christ, understanding there are some who are truly believers, true believers within the church, claiming to be even on church rolls, There are some who do not believe, truly. Were the seven churches in Revelation true churches? In organizational form, yes, the churches existed. As spiritual organizations, they existed. They practiced worship, they practiced teaching, they practiced evangelism, they existed. But in the spiritual presence and power spiritual influence and power not necessarily or not as effectively as they could have. Theologically there was theologically there's only one true church. Of all the seven churches the true believers from each one comprised the body or the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. They were just divided in seven different congregations. And each congregation was contaminated with apostates, unbelievers, error teachers. The church at Pergamum, verse 13. The Lord said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my fellow witness, who was killed among you. We don't know much about Antipas. The Lord here is giving them words of encouragement. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. We believe, we understand this. They consider this literally They called it Satan's throne. The Christians called it Satan's throne, but it was considered to be, it was a palace or temple, Zeus's throne on top of a hill. It's been dismantled, I believe, and taken to Germany and put in a museum. That's what they were calling Satan's throne because they were worshiping a false god. And it had that much influence over the whole area. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you, do, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas. We don't know much about Antipas other than he must have been a leader, a faithful leader of that day, and people put a lot of trust in him. They followed him closely because probably his teaching was true. And the authorities around got tired of his messages. We're going to put a We're going to shut these Christians up. Let's take out his leader and they'll go away. It's kind of a military strategy. You take out the commander, 
The rest of the forces don't know what to do. The only problem is when Satan in this world takes out a spiritual leader for true Christians, they're not taking out the commander. The commander's sitting in heaven on the throne. So these were the true believers. They were being commended for their faithfulness. Verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You remember we talked about those were a problem in the church of, at Ephesus. The big difference there is that Ephesus, Lord commended them for hating the Nicolaitans, but these people are tolerating the Nicolaitans. You could almost paraphrase this verse, verse 15. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the LGBTQ plus community. Because God's considered all sexual, all excuse me, all idolatry as equivalent to spiritual adultery. You're desiring someone else rather than God. That's why he made mention of Balaam. The false prophet in and of the fact that he was in it for the money. Balak, king of the Assyrians, wanted Balaam to put a curse upon Israel. And God said, don't you dare. Balaam gave them blessings, made sacrifices two times on two different separate events to bless the people of Israel. And Balak got angry and wasn't going to pay him. So Balaam said, you know, there's a way to get them. Just have some of your illicit women and some of your women to go and tempt these men of Israel and intermarry and commit sexual sin and they will lose their power. The Lord will withdraw his spirit. So that's what's going on at church at Pergamum. They came off strong, they came off faithfully, and yet because of compromises with the world, their spiritual power had been drained. But the Lord says in verse 16, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and be in war against them and the sword with my mouth. There are some true believers still there. There are some true believers still faithful. That's why he says, I will come to you soon and war against them. The false believers, he knows, just like he knows the true believers. The church at Thyatira, or if you prefer, Thyatira. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. He gives encouragement again to true believers right off, of the, right off of the top. You're improving, he says. Your latter works are better than the first. You're growing. You're spiritually maturing. 
but yet I have this one thing against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat the food sacrificed to idols. Again, the problem of sexual sin in the church. It's been over 30 years ago, I was living in Columbia, South Carolina, and I happened to know someone who was a single man, and he found this Methodist church. I'm I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. He found this church. I'm not painting a broad picture here. This was just one specific church, and they had this vibrant ministry to adult singles. And introducing, giving them a social place to introduce and, you know, meet, men could meet women, and he thought that would be a good place to find a wife. So he went there and started to get involved, and the more he got into it, he realized how much promiscuity was going on there. And he stopped going for that very reason. There are some churches that are involved in all kinds of perversion and all kinds of sin, And they think it's okay, but it is not. The letter to Sarsus begins, these two churches, letters begin to the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira with encouragement. The letter to Sardis begins with a warning to false believers. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Stronger words. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then, then, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. So the church at Sardis would become so weak that the sinners, the rebellious, the false believers were prevailing. But even there, there are some. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and will never blot out his name. I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So even at Sardis, there were some true believers. The church of Philadelphia seems to get nothing but encouragement. Chapter, verse 7. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write... The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, speaking of Christ and his authority, who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is about able to shut. I know that you have built, you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, 
But lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about, about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him a name, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So the church at Philadelphia seemed to be weak in influence or small in influence, but yet they were faithful and Christ seems to be rejoicing on their fidelity and making them promises that were so encouraging, so helpful. If you remember how the unbelieving Jews persecuted Christ and then they persecuted the early church in the book of Acts, and here you also remember they persecuted Paul and here it seems that they were persecuting this church at Philadelphia and the Lord commands them and encourages them hang on persevere the day will come when you shall be vindicated they will bow at your feet they will honor your name and so shall I So there were false believers throughout the church. There were true believers throughout the church. The church at Laodicea, most of us are so very familiar with that. Church at Laodicea was so bad, so corrupt. The Lord said, you make me sick. I will spew you out of my mouth. They were neither hot nor cold. They couldn't decide what to do. They couldn't make a stand anywhere. They had no backbone. They had no fortitude. They had no desire. So they faced the threat of God's judgment. We look at each one of these churches and we see that Certainly, there's problems in each one, and we can identify each one, of, each one of the problems. We can see some of it in the church in the world. Perhaps we might even recognize a little bit of each one in our own congregation. We are encouraged to see that in each church, nearly each church, there are true believers who have remained faithful. And we need to use these examples as a measuring rod as a dipstick, where are we? You know, when we talk about the church, we're talking about a group of people, a part of his church that comprise a crowd, a congregation, a community. But each community is made up of individuals. And when one individual loses faith, or becomes weak, or does not persevere, or commits sin they should not participate in, 
it affects everyone around them. So I need to ask, as your pastor, kind of a rhetorical question. That means you don't answer it out loud. Just answer it to yourself. Right? Where are you as a believer? Are you cold and indifferent? Are you distracted by the sin of this world? Are there idols in your life that should not be there? Are there temptations that you indulge in that you just cannot shed? You need to address that. You need to deal with that as an individual because you were part of the kingdom of Christ. You were part of a church and he has called you to be more than just a pew warmer. First Peter 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that it that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable God to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We don't see very many things built with stones these days. If we see houses built with something, bricks, I could almost make a joke out of be a brick for Jesus. Well, he's got the personality of a brick. That's, that, that, that doesn't fit very well, but we are part of his kingdom, part of his church, part of his body. And each one of us has a role. Each one of us has a duty. Each one of us, if we are resting upon that foundation, that cornerstone, each one of us, has eternal security in him. He will never let you go. Be faithful to him. Again, First Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. All that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. Listen carefully, don't go to sleep. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Be among the faithful. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. There were problems in the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. There were unbelievers. There were people who were idolaters. There were people who were 
an impolite word perverted, but there were also faithful who kept on, who persevered, who endured. Be one of those Christians. Persevere, endure, remain faithful. It's gotten so bad, I cannot tell you what I've seen online this week about churches in the United States of America posting videos online about what they are doing, what their pastors are doing. There's going to come a day when we might just have to put a sign on, today's sermon will be rated R. I don't know. I hope that never comes to that. But you know what's going on. Do not give in. Do not submit. Stand firm on the foundation of Christ. Remain faithful to him. Endure and persevere. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and for your word and its power. May your spirit Give us courage and comfort as we sense your truth, your light, your presence, and as we run from the darkness from which we were saved. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen. We continue to worship the Lord this